Hey, BA fam, this episode is sponsored by State Farm. Are you a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Hey, 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 guys, it's Mandy, and we're back with Brown Ambition, and obviously we are missing our beloved Tiffany so very much this week, but as promised, we have one of our favorite returning guests on the show, Lynette Calfani-Cox, aka The Money Coach, aka our fairy money godmother, as we like to say. Lynette, thank you so much for joining. Hey, I'm so happy to be here. Fun stuff. Um, I have to say, we don't really have three-peat guests. If you're, I feel like you're the Tom Hanks of the Brown Emission podcast. <laughs> so what's new with you? What, uh, other than moving to Texas, having all your kids be geniuses and rocking it <laughs> in college right now, what's going on in Lynette's world? My son, you know, he's 19 now. He sent a um, an email and it said, um, the subject line said, Jordan Sneakers. And the email was to me and Earl and then to my ex, Akil, and his, his wife, Sia. And he said, hey guys, growing up, honestly, I always wanted a pair of Jordans. The problem was they were too expensive to ask for at $250. I always thought they were the coolest looking shoes. And I always said that one day when I had the money, I would buy them. I always knew exactly which ones I wanted too. The red and black Jordan ones called Air Jordan 1 retro high OG. And so with my latest paycheck, he stayed home over spring break and he didn't come. He's at North Carolina State in Raleigh. And he, I said, boy, don't you want to come home? He's like, no, ma, I want to work. So I was like, okay, fine, whatever. <laughs> but he's, he goes, and so with my latest paycheck of working spring break and extra hours, then he put in parentheses, $450 after taxes, I decided I might buy them. But then I thought of the quote, quote, the fastest way to never own the Lamborghini company is to buy a Lamborghini, end quote. So instead of buying my shoes, I bought three pairs of Jordan slash Nike stock at $84 a piece, $252 total. I'm on the road to financial power and freedom, exclamation point. Just wanted to share and let you guys know. Love, Jakarta. Okay, that is the intro for the show, because I need you guys, Brown Ambition listeners, to know who our guest is today. This is Lynette Calfani-Cox, the woman who raised that son, that 19-year-old. Like, that is why Lynette is. That's amazing. (laughs) I was stunned. I was like, oh, my God. I Of course, I told him how proud I was. But at first, when I saw, you know, Jordan's, the the subject line, I thought he was going to say, 
And then I saw it was a long email. I thought he was going to say, okay, I'm going to pay half. Can you guys give me some money and buy the other half of my shorts? <laughs> of course, yeah. That's, That's the I email thought. I sent to my parents, similarly. <laughs> and then when I saw him say, oh, you know, working, I said, oh, okay. I, I thought he was going to say, I, you know, I just bought them with my own money. But yeah, when he said that he didn't even buy them, I was like, oh my God, he's listening. He's learning. I'm so happy, <laughs> you know. So, it, you know, there you go. I guess sometimes the parenting pays off, huh? Yeah, I mean, you're, you were a huge, talking about influences, I know you were a huge influence on Tiffany as she was building the, the Budget Nista. Um, I haven't made the switch to entrepreneur just yet, but I think about it. I see what you all are doing and I, I'm, I'm taking <laughs> notes. But I mean, yeah. it's, it, you know, any way that you plan a life where you're able to have a family that you love and, um, you know, kids who are successful in college and a business that's running smoothly and a happy marriage, it's just like you are the unicorn human and we all need to know what your secret sauce is. So tell me more about this should, would, could to-do list and other hacks that you feel like have made this life possible. Well, you know, uh, there's so many and I call them earlisms, <laughs> um, his, his little pearls of wisdom. I don't know. And, and, and again, this is, it might sound like, oh, sappy and corny or whatever, but it is one of the reasons that I really do um, admire and respect my husband so much is that He's constantly learning and growing and challenging himself. And um, he pushes me to do the same thing. And even, you know, business certainly is one thing because literally Earl and I are so um, attuned and um, it's not like it's all sunshine and roses. We never argue or anything like that because we do. Um, and, and And the crazy thing is that I'm dead serious. It, it, there's almost like, if I had to say what we argue about, I can almost pinpoint it um, like nine out of 10 arguments that we would have ever had in, you know, um, you know, 13, 14 years would be about money. <laughs> so oh, I feel so seen. <laughs> and the crazy thing. So and now let me be a little more specific about it. Um, it's usually about a negotiation about money. So I don't, I mean, this might sound like, oh my God, does she have like a crazy sense of self-importance or what is the deal here? But, but I like, I'm, I'm always that person who's like, this is what I'm worth. And this is, this is my price. This is what I'm asking for. And Earl, who is a fabulous negotiator and a good businessman and obviously a wonderful agent, he knows what to bring me and what I'm going to totally pass and turn down. But at the same time, needless to say, he's in a, a, a bit of a bind, let's say, for <laughs> playing the hubby loving role and then putting on the business agent hat as well. Because um, I'm sure sometimes he's thinking 15 grand, 20 grand or, you know, girl, you better take that check. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. But then he's like, he's like, oh, OK, well, what do you think about giving the scope of the work? He'll, you know, he'll put it in professional terms or whatever. So when I say about if we ever argue about money, we literally um, still will have conversations, as my pastor calls it, intense fellowship um, <laughs> around. Um, and it's not as as bad probably as it was like eight years ago, you know, um, but, you know, on occasion, you know, if there's a disagreement, it'll usually be something sort of uh, contract related or, or something like that. And he'll, he'll just, he'll just try to blunt it. He'll say, you know what, 
tell me what you want. <laughs> he's like, <laughs> he's like, I'm not going to propose something here. Just tell me what you want. <laughs> so, and I'm like, no, 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 honey, that's your role. You take, just do what you, you know, whatever you think. <laughs> he's probably like, uh, yeah, I, I, I know that trap. I'm not going to step into that one. <laughs> yeah. No, I think there's always that power struggle of, especially when you're like, I mean, and and you guys are partners in in serious ways as business partners, but also just in a marriage, like just being partners to get things done. Like if you're doing a renovation or you're planning a vacation, like your partner's, you know, planning things together. And it's so easy to slip into that. Well, I can just do it this way. And that's where a lot of the fights we have as husband and wife come in is, is, um, is that trust around finances like do I try or not even just finances but like planning things or handling things like right sure and he the- can handle it but will he handle it the right way you know right. and that is I mean we're really we're newlyweds so you're probably like uh-huh you'll get over that pretty soon um <laughs> but that's that's what the a lot of our fights are really the nut of it is like the, the way that one of us is doing something is not the way the other person would do it no and that is I mean literally that can happen for like five years, 10 years. It doesn't have to be, you know, you married a, 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 a year plus now, right? It'll be two years actually this weekend. Oh, two. Oh, kudos yeah. to you. Congrats. Thanks. But no, this, I mean, this part I, I can honestly say, and again, with all humility, um, this is an example of how this permeates and how this can, you know, be reflected in many aspects of a relationship, the personal side, you know, business, parenting, uh, career, um, even spirituality. So Earl and I are both Christians. Um, but I was sort of raised in the church, you know, and so, uh, much more to an extent than, than he was. And so long story short, when we got together, I almost like had this, I won't even call it an idea, but I had this sort of mindset, like, like I'm more exposing him to uh, a greater or deeper sense of Christian values and et cetera, et cetera. And do you know, I had this totally wrong headed misconception for years, for years and years. And then one day Earl, he was just kind of like breaking something down and teaching me something and talking about something. And then I was like, Oh, wait a minute. I, I, I just never even like remotely knew that didn't had never heard of that. Didn't. And he was just kind of like, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And he just kept on patiently going, but it was almost like, it, it was like a gentle way of the Lord telling me, you thought you were, you thought that you came into his life to help him become more quote Christian and more enlightened. Oh no, girl, it's the other way around. <laughs> and I was just like, Oh, wait a minute. And it was just like a total epiphany for me. But sometimes <laughs> if you like sit in that moment, if you can really hear, you know, what your partner is trying to tell you, or sometimes what God, I guess is trying to tell you, you you'll be the, the better for it. I mean, you're the, the beneficiary of it, but you know, again, that's a little maturity and wisdom on, on that front. And, um, I'm so happy. I'm serious to be at this point in my life because, you know, there is something to having raised kids and to be, you know, to have kids at different areas now, one who's 21, one 19, one 13, and to have gone through those phases. And then to remember, you know, where I was and, and I, I was a hot mess. So, you know, it's, I'm happy that my kids turned out great. <laughs> So anyone who's listened to the show, you guys know Tiffany is actively planning for a family. I mean, that's the whole reason she's on this vacation right now is to spend time really shifting the balance in her in her professional and personal life to actually spend some time focused on family, which is beautiful. And 
you know, I've I've learned a lot listening to Tiffany because we're about a decade apart, Tiff and I, um, in age, her being older than I am, and um, and I I I am absorbing all that she's saying about you know being in her late thirties now and trying to plan for a family, and you know they've obviously gone through um, in vitro fertilization that process, um, you know she struggled with issues that have made it not as easy to have children. And, you know, we talk all the time about, you know, getting to a place where you have space for a family and then also your career. And it sounds so cliched that we, you know, it sounds like a cliche, you know, that how do you, how do you balance both? And at this point, I'm kind of convinced that you just throw yourself in the pit and just do it. Like, just have the kid and see and make the business happen. I don't know if you if you have any more, you know, pearls of wisdom that actually are a little bit more structured than that advice. But that's kind of the sense I'm getting is there's no perfect, if you're waiting for the perfect time and the perfect weather and the perfect point in your life to start the family and have the business and the career and everything, it really won't drop in your lap that way. You just kind of got to go for it when it's least scariest to you. Yeah. And I, you know, in my opinion, I think the vast majority of people who become parents um, were just kind of thrown into the pit, as you said, and it was not particularly, um, you know, specifically planned. And I'll just give you like, I'll share my own, uh, you know, as an example. And, And my story is not necessarily illustrative of everybody's experience, obviously, but just as a, as a point of reference, my first child, Aziza, um, I had her when I was 29 and she was 100% planned, like almost to the month. Um, I had been married for five years already and we knew, okay, we've been married, want to have a baby now. And so had her and it was, it was wonderful. My son who came two and a half years later, it was like, oh, surprise, I'm pregnant. Oh, okay. I guess we're having another baby. You know, it was just <laughs> like, okay. And so, you know, that was fine. And then with And, you know, that was by my ex-husband. I divorced, obviously, you know, subsequently remarried to Earl and et cetera. When Earl and I got, uh, were pregnant with Alexis, total surprise, (laughs) 100% surprise uh, before we were married. And I was like, oh my God, what have I done? (laughs) Like, what? (laughs) And I was like, okay, I guess I'm having a baby again here. Whoa, wow, wow. You know, and I was 37 when I had Alexis. And so, you know, I am uh, in all three experiences, even though they were all completely different, um, I'm so happy for, you know, what developed. And I think that a lot of times, especially as women, we do, you know, try to just, you know, plan every little thing and try to, you know, hope for that opportune time or that sign or that right, you know, X, Y, Z, where we're hoping that everything aligns and um, it's okay to, to get a little, you know, to feel a little out of your comfort zone and just kind of say, okay, I'm going to have to go with this and, and roll with the punches and see how this works out. You know, how, well, I just, because, I just really? realized I was doing the math. Sorry to interrupt. I realized, so your third daughter, your third child, so she was born right around the, right around the time that you were launching the money coach. Correct. So you launched your business and had your third baby in the same time period. Correct. Correct. <laughs> yep. That's absolutely correct. I um, launched the moneycoach.net in 2003. And then Alexis was born in 2005, at the end of 2005. But yeah, I, I had, I mean, really in terms of 
starting the business in earnest and a whole bunch of other, you know, things that I can, you know, write in another book and just, you know, putting myself out there in a lot of ways where time was at a premium energy, you know, financial resources, um, et cetera, uh, paying alimony and child support to my ex, you know, just a whole bunch of stuff. So, um, twas not easy. I can say that, uh, you know, <laughs> um, but I, I, I really do think that I, I would hope that your audience would take heart and would, um, you know, be encouraged if it feels like, geez, you know, it doesn't seem like I'm ever going to have the right exact time. And, you know, this is not like, okay, qualifying for a mortgage, right? Where, you know, okay, my score needs to be X in order to have a approval, or I need 10% down payment or 5% or 20% or there's no hard and fast benchmark to tell you, yes, 100% now is the right time for motherhood or launching a business or doing them both simultaneously, you know? Um, sometimes you really do have to say, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to go for it. I'm just going to, and even though I don't have all the answers, you know, it's like Martin Luther King said, um, you know, you don't have to uh, see the whole staircase, just take the first step, you know, and that was to give people guidance and, and permission to to move and to move forward and to, to you know, kind of have a little faith and, and some trust in the process that even if, you know, nothing is, is so um, catastrophic that, you know, it can't be undone, fixed, amended, etc. cetera. Uh, my pastor wrote a book, as a matter of fact, called Failure is Written in Pencil. And I love that title because it really does speak to the fact that it's okay if you make a mistake, even if you quote unquote fail or don't succeed at something, erase that stuff, move on, fix it, you know, change. It's not like that has to define you or hold you back forever. Were there ever times when you're building your business and, and raising your children when you felt like you were failing in one area, like the business side, or you had fear of failing on the parenting side? Oh, I definitely, to be honest, I never had fear of failure on the business side. I, I'm, I'm one of those people who, um, my sister said she took some test, um, just like a personality and a business test. And it, it, it said her uh, confidence level was like off the charts. I, she had me to do the same thing and it was pretty much the same for me. I I know I will succeed. If I, on a financial terms or on a business terms, lost everything that I had, you know, tomorrow, I know I could create that and more again, you know, the next day, the next month. So I, I don't, you know, I don't worry about that on the business side. Um, as a parent, yes. Um, and the main things that I've worried about as a parent are, connecting with my kids, um, especially my son. Um, and, uh, and also just being present. So, you know, I've had times where, you know, I've been on vacation with the family and, you know, I'm constantly taking my laptop and I was like writing an article, writing another chapter. And I was doing that a lot. And I was doing it for so long that I kind of, it caught up with me and I said, this is crazy. This is like a little sick. This is not, this is not good and healthy. This is not life balance. So I started saying to Earl, I don't want to be here. And you're like, okay, I'm going to take Alexis to the pool. I'm going to go out to the beach. You know, I know I, I should be out there enjoying it too, you know? And so, um, you know, so now I catch myself and I'm like, nope, 
you know, it's not that I never take my laptop. I do. But I'm much, much, much more mindful. And um, certainly the last uh, two to three years in particular, um, I've been extraordinarily present and um, very conscientious about, you know, just my intentions that my goal is to have chill time, to have downtime with the family, to be present, to not to let everything else kind of go away for a little while. And um, a therapist helped me with that, actually, too, when my, uh, you know, about a year after my sister Debbie passed away, I, you know, I was I had gone through grief counseling at my church and, you know, just it was obviously very rough. My sister passed away at age 49, totally unexpectedly. And um, then about a year, uh, maybe a year and a half later, I just would go through these bouts again of just crying a lot, being so sad and just obviously missing her. But then also in other ways, I like I started having arguments with Earl. And I was like, this is really not like us to just, you know, argue over ridiculous, you know, little stupid stuff. So anyway, went to a therapist and, um, you know, she was very, very helpful. And one of the things that she helped me to see was travel. And she said, okay, so let me get this straight. She said, you know, part of how you and Earl got together and part of your um, history as a couple, part of the beauty of what you guys did was you worked and played together. You traveled a lot for business together. You traveled a lot personally together. And she said, so now all of a sudden I see one thing you said in the last year and a half, you kind of like cut that off. And she's like, why'd you do that? <laughs> and then I said, well, you know, I got a kid in college. I got one on the way. I got, you know, I'm, I'm trying to save money. I'm trying not to, you know. And then she was like, she didn't say it in these words, but she was pretty much like, no, you can afford it. <laughs> she was like, if this is about your mental happiness and your sanity and blah, blah, blah. So we talked through that. And then um, she said, but let me ask you something. She said, when you're going and, you know, traveling, you and Earl or you, Earl and Alexis, um, are you like working, you know, on, and I was like all the time. I told her, I said, I always take my laptop. He takes his blah, blah, blah. So she said, okay, I, I suspected that. She's like, I don't want you to take your um, laptop on the next vacation. And I, and I said, no, 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 you don't understand. <laughs> she said, have you ever gone on vacation without? And I said, nope, not once. I said on our honeymoon, when we were on like a 10 day cruise, we both had our laptops. No, we, 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 we got, <laughs> she said, your business will be just fine. Nothing's going to happen. The business is not going to go away. You're not going to miss some crucial. You'll be just fine. So she kind of talked me off that ledge. And she said, I tell you what, even if you guys are not able to like literally leave your laptops at home, I want you to agree to yourselves on a limit on a finite amount of time and a very brief time. Like when you go on your next vacation and we were, we had said, okay, let's do a cruise when you go on that cruise, um, give yourself a limit. So I came home, I told Earl about the whole, you know, everything and the epiphanies I was having in the session. He was like, she's right. She's right. Yep. You know what? He goes, book us and book our thing now. So I booked us. I was like, oh, you don't have to tell me twice. I like booked a <laughs> week long vacation, a cruise, you know? And then I said, oh, but you know, she said we really shouldn't take our laptops or the, he was like, I don't know about all that. <laughs> I said, or she said we could just have a limit. So we said, okay, we agreed on one hour not one hour each day, one hour total for a seven day vacation. Okay. Oh, wow. So, and we stuck to it. I was, it was so 
awesome. I mean, I, I was like, oh, this is so relaxing. This is so free. I love it. And um, like she said, nothing, you know, nothing went to hell in a handbasket. I mean, it was just like, but it really showed me even more. I just, I was able to be present in, in a much more tangible way. I could just can remember the smells of everything and, and just, you know, special dinners that we had and, and, you know, Alexis, you know, going off to kids camp and, and sliding down the, the, the water slide. I remember like everything. So um, it's, it's, it's true that, you know, just kind of being aware and being cognizant of kind of what you're doing in a given moment um, it's, it's so super important to not have all your attention all the time divided. I mean, you know, I know we all think we can multitask and all that, but I think there's some science behind that too. That shows, uh, you're not, you're really like sacrificing your attention on one thing and, and kind of compensating in, in other areas. Hey, BA fam, this episode is sponsored by State Farm. Are you a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Hey guys, we're back with our guest, Lynette Calfani-Cox, the money coach. Here's my next question, Lynette. How do you guys plan out things when you're, so you do travel as a certain percentage of your income each month. Do you also, how do you save for retirement? You're saving for two retirements. Right. Absolutely not the latter. Um, and I probably drive Earl a little crazy with this because I'm extremely aggressive about it. And I you know, kind of insist <laughs> on a lot of retirement savings. So, um, again, we own an S corp, uh, you know, our, for federal tax purposes, our, our company, our LLC is an S corp, but, um, essentially what it means is that as self-employed people, we are both employer and employee. So we have, we file a K one and we, uh, earn dividend income and salaried income. Again, we pay ourselves a, a salary, a given salary. So we have W-2 income that we pay ourselves. All of that matters because we're able to sock away um, a much larger percentage of money than a traditional W-2 employee. So for 2019, for example, um, now you can sock away 19,000 um, for people who are you know, under 50 or... Uh, 25,000 if you're 50 and older, but we can actually sock away 
something like 55 or 56,000 is the new limit for 2019. And that's because taking into account the employer and the employee contribution side of things. So long story short, we max out. So, but I'm, I'm, I'm like, I know it hurts <laughs> to put that in there, you know, to write those checks, but it's, you know, it's what we got to do and what I feel is the best thing for us wow. to, to be aggressive in our um, retirement savings. And no, I don't wait to the end and, or wait till oh, this is how much I have left over. It's like, you got to put that money in there. So yeah, and I, that's I, our strategy, I, but yeah. Well, and I haven't, you know, my husband's always had his 401k. I've always had mine. I haven't, I haven't looked at his. I mean, I know we, we know roughly what's in each of them and how, what percentage we're saving, but we haven't really figured out like, okay, what, I don't know. I don't know what he's investing in. Um, I know what I'm, in, <laughs> I know what I'm investing in and I feel fine, but it's hard to, you know, I just save my 10% and he saves his 10% and um, I just hope for the best. I don't know. I would like to be more aggressive, but I think it's been a lot easier to talk myself out of being more aggressive in the in the past couple of years because we've done things like buy a house and do a renovation and you know I all these now I'm just you know trying to find a way to you know afford like a vacation for the summer and it's it is like so incredibly easy to talk yourself out of you know doing a little bit extra toward that nest egg. But, um, you know, I don't know where we're going to be in another 40 years and if I'll keep the the job I have or, or if I won't. And, um, and I, and I feel like it's only going to get more expensive and, and, and we should be ratcheting up our savings each, each year, but we've definitely fallen into a little bit of that trap of like, there's so much other competing, you know, priorities right now. And, you know, we'll be, re we have plenty of time to save more for retirement. Um, yeah. And, and, and you do. And I can tell you again, as a parent of, you know, uh, you know, 21 year old, 19 and 13 to reiterate, it is that never goes away. <laughs> so we're constantly like, oh, my God, there's so many things to be done. And so Earl, he told me it was so funny about um, maybe a month ago. He said, <clears throat> he said, oh, I said, I said, are you grouchy about something? What's going on? And he said, oh, he said, I guess I just feel like, you know, Every dollar is earmarked for something. And he was like frustrated about that. And I said, honey, it's supposed to be. That's called budgeting. <laughs> <You know? laughs> okay. And so, but in his mind, he was like, okay, this, you know, even seeing like, okay, I'm gonna put a $10,000 here towards retirement. I said, but that's for you. That's savings. You know, that's helping to build your net worth. And that's helping to, you know, uh, ensure your future financial security when you're no longer working. And we're on an aggressive, um, you know, plan towards being what I call work optional. So in five more years, when Alexis goes off to college, you know, we can work and, you know, knowing us, since we're both workaholics, we will still be working. But I really want to be at that point where we're work optional, where kids' college are paid for, retirement assets are very, very, very nicely funded. We still travel as much as we want. Um, and we've made commitments to our kids because we're very intentional about multi-generational planning, what our intentions are for them and what we plan to do. So, for example, we've told them that we want to cover you for your education and we don't want you to have any student loan debt. We told them that we're going to buy you your first house, um, a, a condo initially for, for each one of them. We've told them that we want to start you off with a car. 
so that if you need transportation, you'll have a car and, you know, you won't have to, you know, have a, a giant note or, or whatever. And we want to help them to have that kind of head start in life that certainly neither one of us had, but that will help them to be able to build from a position of strength. So, you know, you already know seven out of 10 uh, students are coming out of college right now with student loan debt, like $38,000 worth. And so we're like, nope, don't want them to be part of that statistic. And, you know, I had 40 grand when I came out of um, college when I got out of grad school. And so I, I just know how much that kind of puts you behind the eight ball. So even like with my daughter, the 21 year old who is who is now working, she graduated one semester early from UT Austin in December. And she came to me recently and she said, oh, mom, I want to pay rent. Now, we bought her a condo. She has two roommates. The mortgage on the condo is $1,400 a month. The two roommates pay $1,400 a month. And I was like, Aziza, what do you mean you want to pay rent? <laughs> like, there's nothing for you to pay. And, you know, and she says, oh, I want to have one room. I want to have my own privacy, but I also want to be financially responsible. Like this is, I can do it. And, you know, and I said, Aziza, remember, I got this so you could have a, you know, a start and you could save your money. That's the whole point of this. She said, ma, you did it. It worked. I've been living rent free for three years, you know. She says, I have a full-time job and I'm still saving half my income. She's a crazy aggressive saver. So I wonder who she gets it from. <laughs> so um, so I told her, okay, so she's so the plan is in September, she's gonna start paying rent. And so, and I and honestly, when she laid everything out for me, she showed me her budget, I was like, I couldn't even argue with her. So I was like, okay, you know. So it's just um it is a good thing to see you know, younger people start off on the right foot. Why is that so important for you? And talk a little bit about that, because I think I come from a similar background in that, you know, if not very many people, my family went to college and, you know, I, I graduated with blessedly a little bit of debt because I just decided not to live in, in campus housing and that saved my butt. But, um, you know, going out into the world, having debt, not really having parents who could financially support you. I feel I'm, I'm starting to feel the same way about when I'm thinking about my kids is wanting to give them the same, give them a head start that I didn't have. Now yours sounds way more generous than I, <laughs> like that sounds amazing um, to be able to give your, your child a, a condo and all that. But wh where does that, that come from? And, and do you wish that more people would do that for their children? Because I can hear some people saying like, well, you're just going to raise like spoiled kids who, you know, don't know how to pay their bills and things like that. Right. And I, you know, where it comes from for me, uh, where it comes from for me is a my own personal background and experience and knowing what it's like to struggle through to have college debt, to have credit card debt, to have had my car repossessed, to, you know, to have known what it's like to financially uh, struggle through a whole bunch of issues. Um, and then also knowing the other side you'd be shocked at how many parents really are doing this for their um, kids. In communities of color, unfortunately, it is not the norm. It is not, you know, kind of the, uh, and certainly what we're talking about doing is, is you know, probably obviously the, the exception rather than the rule. However, many, many um, millennials that I talk to who are white, 
will tell me flat out that their parents are either paying their rent, um, paying their car payment or their insurance, that they um, gave them the money for their down payment on their house. Um, it's, 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 it's extremely common. And then at another level, um, intergenerationally, you know, I'm also a money expert for AARP. And so I get to talk to, even though I'm a Gen Xer, I get to talk to a lot of folks who are baby boomers and, and members of the silent generation, their fifties and sixties uh, and beyond. And uh, one of the regrets that uh, a lot of people actually uh, articulate is that they do regret um, helping those children who um, became financially dependent or who were um, or who were not um, prudent in their use of the money. And a lot of times it's something like, oh, I invested 40,000 in my son's business and it went belly up. Or, you know, my daughter told me to invest in this stock or that or try to do this real estate venture and it didn't work out and, you know, things like that. I'm trying to literally invest in my kids themselves. I'm trying to give them a, a leg up and do so in a way where um, not only am I, you know, telling them that I have a great deal of faith and, and confidence in them, I'm laying out expectations as well. So just like the the reason that we first bought uh, our daughter Aziza a condo was in her freshman year, she uh, did poorly, very poorly. And she had won all this scholarship money. And first semester, she just totally bombed, you know, and I was kind of looking at her grades like, what? This is not my Aziza. What's going on here? Having been an A student and a you know, had a 2230 SAT when she, you know, she had done extremely well. However, her second semester, she bounced back and then, you know, she kept continuing to, you know, make progress. And then junior year, I think it was, she came home Christmas break. She had straight A's. It was just like her normal self. But uh, because that first semester she faltered, at the end of her first year, she did not have a 3.5 GPA overall, which was what was required. So she lost her scholarship. So the difference, uh, you know, roughly, you know, $50,000 um, all in for tuition fees, room and board as an out-of-state student from New Jersey attending uh, Texas, the difference between that and paying in-state tuition, you know, was, uh, you know, threefold. So initially, I started looking for a strategy to uh, decrease our out-of-pocket costs. And then I, I learned that, oh, she can establish residency in the state. She loves Texas. She wants to stay there. We know she wants to stay there. She's already telling us that. We can buy her a property. And that, after she owns it for one year and lives there for one year, she'll become a, a resident of the state of Texas. And so that's literally exactly what we did. And she did, in fact, of course, become a resident and still lives there. And so it was a strategy actually for reducing tuition after a, a totally unexpected kind of slip up on her part. Now, some people might start with that and say, are you kidding me? A kid who had poor grades, you, you doubled down on her. You said, I'm going to buy her a condo. Like who would do that? Again, I, I would not recommend this in general to most people. I would say only to a parent, you know your child. And I knew Aziza. I was like, 
the girl is a superstar, you know, hands down. I knew that she had a lot of transition issues and that in the course of sort of, you know, asking myself and everybody else, what happened? How could this even have, you know, as much as I try to plan and, 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 you know, create an environment for success, this didn't happen. I found out that the average student who goes into college suffers a 0.5 drop in their GPA from senior year of high school to freshman year of college. So even a student who will say a 3.9 GPA as a senior in high school will typically have a 3.4 GPA after their freshman year of college. So now, again, knowing that... Well played, (laughs) scholarship uh, terms writers. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. So with my son, he probably was like, oh my God, he probably was like, mom is never going to, you know, she's going to be all over me. And sure enough, I was. So I was like, Jakarta, you see what happened with Aziza? You have to, that first semester, you have, you know, you really, you think I was a helicopter parent before. I was like, (laughs) you know, helicopter, drone, you know, satellite cruise missiles. I mean, I was all up in this boy's stuff, but he was on the Dean's list his first semester, you know, so it worked. Um, but he knows as well, that's the strategy for him because he's at a public university. He's in Raleigh at North Carolina state university. Our family doesn't really qualify for much need-based aid. He did win some scholarships, um, about seven, thousand dollars or so worth and the rest we pay and he knows that in his sophomore year really at the you know at the end of this freshman year in the summertime we're gonna buy him a condo and then he's gonna establish residency and then the beauty of that strategy is that not only do you take your tuition down by about a third you know to about a third of its of its cost they they basically have housing free of free of charge as well. So it's a super effective strategy. But as we, again, it was born out of, and us saying we're going to buy them a condo and a house and all that. We had sort of nebulous, you know, just like, oh yeah, we want to help our kids and give them a launching, you know, but now because this actually happened with Aziza and we've seen, we're like, oh, this is a like a quick and easy way to do it. And it meets multiple goals. So we'll give them that start. Later, if they want to sell, if they get married, if they, you know, that's on them, that they can do what they want. But um, I do think it's important, especially to try to help build multi-generational wealth, to leave your kids something besides some debts. <laughs> so, so how does that work? Is the deed in their name or are, are, is the deed in your name until, you know, they graduate? What are the, what are the rules on this whole arrangement? Okay. So great question. It's in all of our names. So obviously at the time, you know, Aziza was not, she did not have a job. She could not obviously get a mortgage or qualify for any kind of home loan, anything like that. So she is on the mortgage and she is on the deed. And then Earl and I are on, of course, both as well, the mortgage, because we're actually paying it and on the deed. So the student must be on the deed Um, And different states have different rules. Um, In Texas, I believe, don't 100% quote me, I don't think that they even care if you're on the mortgage or not, but you have to be on that deed for sure. And obviously you have to physically, you know, have residency and and literally live in the the property. 
So it doesn't work just to have an apartment, a timeshare, a rental, something like that. They want to know that you are a property owner paying your taxes and, you know, and that, um, and it's fine if the parents are even paying it, um, or a roommate pays it or somebody else, you know, it doesn't matter who, but you have to be listed as the, uh, property owner via the deed for that property. So again, I'm going to do the exact same strategy with Jakarta and he's loving Raleigh, uh, you know, has a little girlfriend out there and everything. <laughs> so he's, he's, um, uh, you know, he'll stay. And I'm like, I, and I tell my kids that fly little birdies, just, you know, you, don't come back home. <laughs> just, you know, not to live anyway, just, you know, do you, it's time to go off and go off and, you know, explore. And, and that's why I'm so glad because Aziza, she interned, you know, at a place out in Austin. And then, you know, of course they made her job offer and that's where she's working now. She's doing great. So it all really did work out. Fabulous. So juggling, are you juggling mortgages now or do you have it set up to where the, your kids have roommates who are paying rent and then really you guys don't have a mortgage to worry about? Yeah. So the property in Austin does have a mortgage on it and the mortgage is $1,400 a month. And the two roommates though, basically we pay the mortgage obviously every, you know, every month. And then the two roommates send us their payments, which are $1,400 a month. Gotcha. So, so in effect, it's really no, well, we do pay the HOA fees and it's two twenty a month for the HOA fees. And we just, we just, you know, write the check for ourselves and just, just do that. Gotcha. And then in, same with the son and Raleigh, are we able to pay cash? I mean, I'm just thinking about how much more affordable real estate is when you get out of the Northeast. Oh <laughs> so. yeah, totally, totally. So, um, so he is, you know, this is the second semester for him in his freshman year. So he is not done with his, you know, this, this year at all. So until May, but yes, in the summertime in June, um, is and probably, I'll probably really look, you know, May or June, but sometime before August, before he actually goes back to school in his sophomore year, we will purchase and close and buy a, a condo out there for him as well. And near, uh, you know, universities, it's it, because most, um, campuses, you know, space is at a premium. And my kids happen to, you know, like big, you know, national universities like UT Austin has 50,000, you know, kids on camp. I'm not on camp, 50,000 students. And so, um, and, you know, uh, NC State has, I don't know, 40 something thousand too. So, um, and they're required to live on campus their first year. But then after that, the kids can move off campus and I, I, my kids know, even Alexis, who's 13, knows she will be living on campus the first year, um, depending if she decides to go to a, um, a college in state, then great is you get in-state tuition and, you know, uh, uh, the housing thing is not that much of a, of a big deal, but, uh, so far, both of my kids have told me that, oh yeah, everybody who's an upperclassman, you know, juniors and seniors, they definitely want to be off campus. <laughs> they don't want to stay on campus. So um, I guess they, you know, start feeling themselves and feeling like I'm grown. I want to have my own place and blah, 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 and not have to be in a dorm or whatever. Um, so, but we will do the same strategy with Jakarta. We have not yet purchased a place for him, but yes, we, we definitely will. And uh, again, the goal there is to knock his uh, out-of-state tuition uh, that we're paying to in-state levels. And it, it doesn't happen immediately because you have to still, he has to live there for one year. 
But in his junior year, um, that's when it kicks in and in his senior year. And right now he's in the architecture program, which is actually a five year program. So it's, it, it pays off even more. Yeah. I mean, why spend tens of thousands of dollars to the university when you can just invest that in property and then you've got it makes it makes so much sense. I know it sounds, you know, obviously it's risky and you have to be in a good financial position to do it, but I totally see why you guys did it. Yeah. So many goals. Okay, my my brain is going now. I'm like, okay, I've got to get the house fund for my child set up <laughs> <laughs> that I don't even have yet. Um <laughs> All right. Awesome. Well, 529 plan. Just, just start with the 529 plan. <laughs> Let, let's take a quick break and we'll be right back out and we'll close the show with a boost and break. And we're back, Lynette. I cannot thank you enough for coming on the show. I have, I mean, I miss Tiffany, but it's been it's been the best excuse in the world that I could get to spend an hour and a half talking to you. Um, but let's, let's, I want, I'm dying to hear what your brown booster break is. This is Tiff and I, the, our signature segment, which doesn't really make sense if you think about it, but it just works for us. We always take either a boost or a break. Um, do you want me to go first? Do you want to go first? Um, you go first. Okay. I'm going to do a boost. One, I always talk about my lovely accountant, Paul. Um, I want to do a boost for myself because I finally went in and adjusted my withholdings for 2019 because this year I still haven't gotten the right calibration of my taxes where I'm not getting back a refund and I'm not owing anything. Um, this year I ended up owing federal but got back state and it netted out to be zero, but I'm trying to get to the point where I don't owe any federal and I don't get that much of a refund. So tweaking my withholdings for 2019. And I got to say, I felt really grown up doing it. Like, it's not that hard. <laughs> Very cool. I love it. And this is the year to do it because of tax reform, obviously. So many people got a surprise. Either they didn't get as big a refund as they had been anticipating or they owed. So you absolutely should be um, adjusting your uh, withholding. And yeah, it's a very simple thing to do. So good for you. Thank you, ma'am. What about you? So mine is a break and that's what we're calling it, right? (laughs) Yeah, brown break. You got it. (laughs) So, and mine is like, I'm so ticked off at the number of scams that are affecting older folks. And I really do feel like it affects um, communities of color in particular because so many people are getting scammed out of their hard-earned money in a variety of ways. So um, let me just do a little 30-second thing here. You know, right now, the U.S. Attorney General, William Barr, everybody's thinking about him because of, you know, the Mueller report and all this other stuff. But um, most of your audience probably does not know that um, just two weeks ago, he announced the largest ever federal crackdown on elder fraud. And basically, the feds charged 225 people with bilking something like 2 million older folks out of more than $750 million. So the scammers are out in full effect. And, um, you know, some by some estimates, older people get robbed to the tune of $37 billion annually. So mm-hmm. there's a lot of elder fraud going on. And this really sad part is that sometimes it's, you know, family members, friends, people who know the older person. So my thing is I want to tell people to be on the lookout. 
and to, you know, watch out for mama, big mama, auntie, <laughs> you know, um, and anybody who you um, know and love, because it's, it's really sad to see people who've worked their whole lives um, uh, get ripped off uh, and, and in, the, in the kind of the prime of their lives. No, I love that. My dad's a bus driver in Atlanta. He, he, he drives the bus for the city. And one day he told me he was taking some stock picking advice from a young man riding the bus um, who just come home from New York City where he had been a stock trader and moved back to Atlanta and now wanted to give my dad, you know, stock advice on how to how to pick penny stocks. And I was like, Daddy, please don't take advice from the man riding the bus who just <laughs> came home from New York City. And I was like, ever since then, my dad runs all of his financial decisions by his children. He was actually just texting me today because he realized robocallers are a thing. Like, oh, they, yeah. especially now because they're calling and saying that, you know, you owe the IRS money and you're going to get arrested. Um, he's like, who are these people? And he's trying to call them back. And I'm just like, daddy, again, please, your finances must go through us. So no, but all jokes aside, that's a really great brown break because it's, it's, um, it's scary to think that your parents can be scammed or your loved ones can be scammed. And sometimes they'll be too embarrassed and they won't tell you until it's too late. So I agree. And you and you brought it up because it's tax time, you know, the IRS literally put out a statement about it as well. There's so much, you know, fraud going on, but the con artists, the scamsters of the world, they really do prey upon the elderly. And yeah, they'll tell them things like you owe the IRS or they'll spoof the IRS uh, phone number or, or, or something that appears to be the IRS and, and, and then call and say, here, pay us now. And, and just, it's, it's a shame. So like I said, we got to kind of look out. Well, I'm going to put a link. I know a great resource from the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. They've got a guide to spotting elder fraud and elder abuse. So I'll pop a link to that in the show notes. Um, and funny. Lynette, tell the people where they can find you. So if they want to get their fix of the Ask the Money Coach, how can they find you guys? Sure. They can reach me at our free financial advice site, askthemoneycoach.com. We have about 1,600 plus articles online about you know 26 different categories of personal finances. Uh, on social, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and LinkedIn. And then our video-based platform is moneycoachuniversity.com. Got free courses and some paid ones as well there too. Love it. Thank you so much for filling in for Tiffany You're this so week. You're so welcome. I'm feeling have, so inspired. Oh, I have to connect with her. And I'm glad she's taking off time and, and she's going to get her work and life balance and you know, get it all together because it's super important. You know, we all have to set our priorities and um, I'm happy for her to, to do just that. Well, four years ago when we started the show, we were both just like families, what? Babies, marriage, what? And it's just so <laughs> yeah. fun to, it's it's fun to looking, looking from the outside to see even just how far Tiff's come and how far I've come. And I'm, I'm excited for, I'm not worried about her one bit. She's going to yeah. be fine. But we're thinking of you, Tiff. If you're listening, stop listening, go back to your vacation. <laughs> the bigger pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment we're having a real conversation as real real estate investors new episodes available every day it's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to bigger pockets on the market rookie real estate or money podcast the purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets Podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen. <laughs>